ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Excalibur Special Edition number one on sale 1988, which uh, was officially December 1st of 1987, I suppose. This has a cover price of $3.25. Holy cow. But it does have a page count of 48 uh, pages to make up for it. I almost said 48 cents. That wouldn't have made sense. <laughs> this one's titled The Sword is Drawn. And do you actually refer to this as Excalibur number one? Special I, edition number one or whatever you say? I refer to it as Excalibur special edition number one solely because that's where the what the internet refers to it as. Every source that I can find it as refers to it as that. Okay. So I, I don't know. I think it was, wasn't it a Marvel graphic novel at some point? Well, so I remember when this came out, I bought this brand new off the shelf and man, it set me back that $4.95. Like that was two weeks worth of allowance. $4.95. Did you or buy it later? $4.50, whatever it was, four four and a half dollars <laughs> My allowance was only three bucks. Okay. What I'm getting at is I needed two weeks worth of allowance to be able to go to the comic book shop and pick up Excalibur number one. And I remember the lead up to Excalibur. Uh, I think I had friends that read Marvel Age. And so we would pass that around and we'd read up on all the information because, as you know, Adam, there was no internet back then. No. You couldn't just look this stuff up. And so one of the advertising bits was like, um, I think it said like uh, bookshelf format. So I was just imagining like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so cool to have like this, this x-men related comic book that's going to be bookshelf format uh and I, in my mind i'm thinking it's going to be like hardbound like a like a hard cover book right and i thought that was going to be so cool so imagine my disappointment when i go to the comic book store and it's it's really it's no different than a marvel graphic novel uh much like uh, god loves man kills but it's smaller it's like the size of a comic book. Oh, interesting. Now, get granted, the, the cover was a much thicker stock paper. Uh, uh, not, I wouldn't call it cardboard, but, you know, even like a little thicker than maybe a couple of manila envelopes uh, and, or uh, manila folders, rather. And uh, the paper, very glossy um, paper with just vibrant, uh, rich colors. So The only Mar Marvel graphic novel that I have is uh, the, there was a there was a Gru one. Mm. I think it was called the Death of Gru. Yes, that's what it was, and it was uh, it was as you say. It was just it was very thick cardboard, very glossy paper. Um, but it, but it wasn't comic book size. It was bigger. Yeah. So the the old graphic novels like God Loves Man Kills or all that entire series was more like I would say uh, a magazine size yeah. uh, book, whereas this was that kind of exact same package but the size of a comic book. The other thing, that, and I was gullible, I think we've established this on the podcast before, <laughs> is that uh, my friends, and I, I question whether or not they were my friends anymore, but but they were the ones that got me into the X-Men uh, in the first place. They're like, yep, that's it. The X-Men are dead. Like, this is it. This is all you've got. You got Excalibur and X-Factor and maybe some new mutants, but the X-Men's dead. And I was, I was so disappointed. I was like, really? But I really, I liked Rogue and Wolverine. I just started getting into this. It's exactly what it was. Like, how, how could they do that? And then when, you know, future books showed up, I was like, oh, I see. That sounds like typical, that's like, that's still happening <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> I, I was trolled and it was 1980. 
eight or seven or whatever it was. Wolverine's really dead. He's not coming back, man. So, anyways, um, this this came out, and I I was you know um, I was excited for it, and I, I rushed out to buy it, and then I read it, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> <laughs> um, because it it the the book itself does not really lend itself to your traditional uh, comic book story, at least in my opinion. It, it was definitely not like X Factor or X Men or even a few of the Avengers comics I had. It was is friggin' weird. From a story standpoint, it feels like 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 if this was a Marvel movie, this would be the first half hour. Yeah, mm, yeah, I think it would even be more. I think it would be like because this is this is. Are you going for like the origin story? I'm, I'm saying that this, like, other than the origin story, there isn't much else to this story. Um, as far as what we get in the comic book, we get a ton of cool concepts. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. And overall, it's it's neat. But from a story standpoint, there isn't a lot of meat here. It's uh, from a standalone book, which is what I kind of felt like this should have been um it didn't do much for me um and i think maybe it was trying to do two different things maybe first of all it was trying to be its own standalone this is excalibur book but i also think that it was probably doing the chris claremont like i'm going to plant this here and i'm going to plant this here and i'm going to plant this here and we could pick up all these things later on in the series and that i guess is kind of annoying there there is not really a beginning middle and an end so much as in a traditional story but there is, there's kind of the beginning, middle, and end of the beginning. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there's a. I don't know. When we talk about when we get further into this, like I, I've read this a few times, and I don't know if it's just Alan Davis's uh, influence on Chris Claremont, but a lot of Excalibur is just really weird and i'm not gonna say that it's a bad thing because i want to give it another chance because uh again when when excalibur came out originally i bought this and i read it and i was like okay well uh, i recognize some of these characters because i had back issues of the uncanny x-men and at the time like none of them were really my favorite characters like i always thought rachel was kind of obnoxious kitty was okay and and nightcrawler he was also okay which is weird because most people tend to think nightcrawler is the coolest one of the coolest (laughs) Um, so I wasn't too invested in the characters. And at the time, I certainly hadn't heard of Captain Britain or Megan uh, or, frankly, any of the, any of the villains. Um, and so when I picked up additional issues and I never picked up them sequentially, like I didn't pick up one through ten. I, I bought like issue number one and then issue number five and then issue number nine. I, I kind of feel like that's actually the best way to do it. I don't know, because I would read them and be like, well, what's going on now? Now, granted, the covers were usually really good. And this cover is uh, is no exception. Uh, the artwork, it's Alan Davis, right? So right there, you've got, you've got, you've got that. Um, aside from like everybody on the cover just looking uh, weird, like you've got uh, Captain Britain, Megan... Kitty, Rachel, Nightcrawler. They all look great, I think. I don't have any problems with it. Nightcrawler looks kind of weird. He's doing some (laughs) crazy kick, like jumping off of, looks like a war wolf. We'll talk about them in a minute as well. Back doing like a a kick on some swashbuckling werewolf guy. I don't know. I think he looks fine. Uh, Maybe perspective wise, he looks a little small. But uh, even the other weird characters that we'll talk about as well, uh, they all look great. The colors are great. 
Um, I would say that you probably don't see this type of a color palette most times in comic books. So, yeah, no, so- this is this is definitely like uh, I don't know what would what, what would he say that color palettes of typical comics where there was like a it was like a four color palette and probably now we're up to like a sixteen color palette or something like that. Probably. But this is this has shades and uh, textures and multiple colors that have gradients into other colors. Yeah, I mean, definitely the reason for the $4.50 price tag was, uh, I have to imagine, A, A, it's more expensive stock, but B, they must have been using some different printing or printer, because they typically don't get this sort of results from a comic book at the time. But anyways, uh, the covers as they go on throughout the Excalibur series also look very uh, stylized like this. Um, And if they're not, like there's one cover in specific that I remember where it's just like a janitor like sweeping up the floor, the background's black. He's like, what, did you expect to see superheroes and villains? Not today, everybody. And I was like, oh, that's a funny, clever cover. And so I bought the issue. I that don't is remember. issue four. I don't remember what's inside the issue, but <laughs> I think it had to do with werewolves. And and, and we'll talk about them. <laughs> we'll talk about all of these characters. Um, a couple of things. Uh, I mean, one of the nice things is this does help bridge the gap from the Uncanny X-Men to Excalibur. So you do get to see how... Kitty, Nightcrawler, and Rachel sort of uh, get over to England to hang out with Captain Brit- Britain and Megan. And for the most part, it's, it's I don't know, pretty much by the numbers. Yeah, it's straightforward. Um, well, except maybe maybe not the Rachel stuff so much. I, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that because <laughs> that's why I say sort of on, on the Rachel stuff. Um, and the Kitty sequence is pretty cool. Like they, they definitely are touching on some Mojo verse stuff. Kitty and Nightcrawler have the same dream, and it's all centered around Mojo. Do you recall if Mojo is ever in this issue again? Well, no. Mojo Mojo isn't even in this issue at all. Well, but it's referenced. I mean, the very first spread where Kitty's barging in on the X-Men who are in either... Well, they're all in ironic positions. Like, all of the characters that are playing the X-Men in the movie are basically the opposite of what they are in the movie, which is kind of funny. The the only reference to Mojo is um the fact that the some of the some of the uh I guess equipment is labeled Mojo's New World Picks. The other reference I could argue is that, you know, Kitty is very happy to see everybody, uh, but um Betsy comes up and she has no eyes and then she has eyes put into her head. Which Yeah. That, know, that, we know that's a mojo reference. Right. Uh, anyways, it's a nightmare. She has it. Kitty has it. Or, or I mean, uh, Nightcrawler has it. And uh, then, then the X-Men all turn into werewolves, which I guess we'll, we'll learn about in a while. Um, and I guess it all centers around the pursuit. I think the, are the war, war somebody's, are, is it the werewolves that are after um, Rachel? Um, overall, I'm not really sure. Okay. I mean, when we get the, the gatekeeper, gatecrasher, whatever that, those people, those weird people, those are people are definitely after Rachel, but the dream centers around Rachel. Um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, the werewolves, then I guess everybody is after, after, uh, Rachel. And so they see the Phoenix effect, um, on one of the pages, the Phoenix effect looks like, the, looks like the Lockheed effect, which is kind of funny. Where's the Lockheed effect? <laughs> Um, I don't, these pages aren't numbered, but it's, it's right after Kitty wakes up, she goes out on the shore and sees the Phoenix effect. Oh, you think that looks like Lockheed? Totally looks like Lockheed. I don't know. By the way, I'm reading this from the, uh, Excalibur Epic Collection. 
which also refers to this as Excalibur Special Edition. Number one? Um, it doesn't refer to it as number one. It just calls it Excalibur Special Edition. Ah, see? Or just well, the sword is drawn. Um, well, I mean, it, it refers to it as that as well. The whole collection is called The Sword is Drawn. Oh, well. This particular so. book was also called The Sword is Drawn. Yes. Well, anyways, um, I guess so. I guess that, that's what kind of gets the story rolling. Captain Britain's got a side story about how upset he is that Betsy's uh, dead with the X-Men. And he, right. Everybody is directly reeling from the fact that the uh, the X-Men are known to the world as dead very recently. And Captain Britain is not painted as a great character. Uh, no, no, not at all. But I mean, he's also uh, suffering from the news of his sister having died. Yeah, but he's, he's drunk and he's yelling at Megan, his girlfriend. And... Yeah, but he's... Not normally like this. He's 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 grieving. This is how he grieves. He grieves by drinking, and he be and he he's a he's a bit brutish. But I don't. I mean, I haven't read the rest of this, but I don't. I I, I doubt they'll continue this. But I could be wrong. I, I think they do. Like maybe not the right. drinking so much, but uh, there's there. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I, I believe there's a side plot of like Nightcrawler and Megan and. And Captain Britain's just like a jerk for a while. Also, Captain Britain and Megan's relationship is really weird. Right. We talked about you. We've talked about it from the stuff that you've read. And it continues to be weird here where, where she's just like, oh, Captain Britain's so sad. And he didn't mean to be angry with me. And it's my fault. I should be more supportive. Yeah. She's very subservient. Yes. Like, and, like to a to a worrying degree. Yes. But I mean, uh, so not to make an excuse, right? Because that's not a proper way for a relationship to work. But, but the other weird thing is that she also comes off as a child. She does, which also which is, makes, just makes it creepy. Right. So there's there's two two levels there, right? But she's an alien or like yeah. a mythical creature or something. Like wasn't she's, she like a hairy Sasquatch? <laughs> she's a she's a shapeshifter. Right? Yeah. I don't think we know anything about her origin other than. What we saw before, which was that we, we she was kind of a, a hideous shapeshifter who eventually learned how to, uh, I guess, came into her own as a shapeshifter and, and figured out how to be a, a shapeshifter. That was sort of her origin was she starts out as a monster. She sort of develops the ability to shapeshift. So she's 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 naive. She, she doesn't know how to read or write, apparently, because she's leaving notes for Captain Britain with pictures yeah um although uh, the 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 changeling bit of it does give alan davis uh i guess permission to draw her in a lot of funny kind of rubbery poses yeah and all of that's effective um i like that stuff a lot but but i mean just yeah the character dynamics between her and captain britain just adds up to a really creepy relationship and maybe that's part of the the issue not not that I'm saying that this is a bad uh, special edition or whatever you want to call it, but it it feels like so much of it is touched upon, but not really developed. So it's kind of like you're getting a taste. You're just getting a taste. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I think the other thing uh, is that I think maybe the story makes may, uh, maybe a little bit more sense if you've been paying attention to what's going on both in the pages of the X-Men and maybe in past issues of Captain Britain. And if not, it's just kind of a lot of questions. Well, my feeling is is that this story is going to make sense once you've read the first 12 issues of Excalibur. That's how it feels to me. Okay. I I don't know. 
let's I put a pin on it. Let's let's I, I having not read the first 12 issues of Excalibur, only reading a smattering of them. Um, you could be right. So the the okay. All that being said, uh, Nightcrawler's feeling better, although he's having some problems teleporting and stuff. Um, then weird creatures barge in, and this is where I'm like, okay, so we we kind of like, I guess maybe not in X Factor so much, but it really feels to me like the first issue of a series should introduce your Doctor Doom or your Magneto or whoever your nemesis is going to be, and in this you just get a bunch of weird clown people. <laughs> Well, these are the, these are the, I, I, the, well, okay. So a couple things. No, they are definitely the nemesis of Excalibur, but it's, it's, it's so weird and not traditional. No, that's, that's definitely true. But they're also all characters from Captain Britain. Granted. So this, this stuff has already kind of been established and there has already been, it's kind of like they're taking all the weird wackiness that was happening in Captain Britain, probably unbeknownst to a lot of uh, U.S. readers, and, and bringing it over to the U.S. And so it feels a little bit weirder because it's unlike anything that we have had before. The the Captain Britain, wasn't that UK only for the most part? Maybe a couple of like uh, special edition magazines made their way overseas here? I believe so. I, I don't know how it works, but yeah, I, that's that's my guess. Because it was like black and white. It was yeah. In... So anyway, yeah. So a lot of this, uh, you know, a U, US person, and I, I mean, I'm sure they printed Excalibur over sees but yeah i think the primary audience for excalibur or any kind of marvel proper comic book is going to be the u.s so right. taking all these things that are like this happened in a in a way that you could never have known about and it's neat <laughs> you know when we come back you know 30 years later and you're like telling me about captain britain i'm like i've heard all of those names before <laughs> i can't remember where can't remember why then i read excalibur i'm like oh they're all connected well that's kind of cool but there's no plan at Marvel to be like, and in 30 years, people are going to be able to connect all these dots because the internet's going to make all this stuff available. Well, I can I can almost guarantee that anything that was printed over in the UK made its way to the US, just probably not in in the as mainstream as it would have been in the UK. You, uh, yes, definitely. There was I'm sure there was specialty comic books that stocked all of this stuff, but I'm sure that's what like the Marvel Bizarre thing, the black and white stuff with that that was for. Yeah. Or Bizarre Tales or whatever it was called. Uh, and we know Captain Britain appeared in as in like Marvel team up with Spider-Man and stuff like that. And in the pages of the X-Men, at least And once. of course in the pages of the X-Men, yeah. So, anyhow, uh, these 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 folks are weird. Um and they're <laughs> <laughs> they're after they're after Rachel. And that's that's cool. That's fine. I am just there's a sequence here of Rachel's return and it makes no sense to me. How so? I don't Okay, so when we last saw Rachel, it was X-Men number 205 or 206. Mm-hmm. No, it was she, 207. She, she disappears uh, and she's walking away with Spiral. Right. To the body shop, presumably right. to be remade in a different image or something. Right. And uh, uh, and that's it. That's fine. I don't, that's, that I have no problem with. Uh, and where she went, whether it's ethereal or or magical or alien, none of that. I don't care. Like, but I don't understand how she's coming back. Like, if you read these four or five pages, like, there's a really cool panel of her in like some psycho Alice in Wonderland tea party. Really cool visual. Don't know what it means. 
my my impression, uh, based on what little I know about where this is going, is that similar to Longshot, she's sort of escaped from Mojo. And my guess would be that the werewolves are working for Mojo uh, to bring her back. I don't know if that's true. I'm just kind of... Yeah, I'm, in, I'm as much as in, in the dark as you are, and I'm just kind of that. That is, that is the vibe I got. Was that she? She was escaping. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> we, <laughs> I mean, no, I, I actually, I think I agree with you. That's that's a very plausible uh, explanation. But I feel like the only reason I'm accepting this is because of that phone call we had a couple of issues ago where I can't remember who was telling us about like the cyclical story of Longshot. Mm -hmm. And the only reason Uh, that I'm accepting your explanation is because of that phone call, which is really that interpretation of of Longshot's adventures. I want to say that was Alex who we'll be hearing from again, but I could be, I'm terrible with names. So I'm sorry if I got you incorrect or butchered your name. So yeah, she Rachel has a psycho dream. Warwolves kind of burst out of, of the creature's in in the stream and and she she tears herself oh, yeah. out of whatever that reality is and she she's... even says werewolves mojo sent them after me okay so yeah she has she's definitely escaped and where uh whether or not mojo has really sent them after her probably yes um i, I suppose that's open to change if chris claremont wants to make them from somewhere else but I don't know why he would. No, that's that's I I fully agree with that. Uh, she ends up in England, and that's kind of how now everybody's storylines are in motion. The uh, the weird gate crasher people and those weird people they're after Rachel because she's powerful um, and she needs to be destroyed or something. Yeah. Uh, so gate crasher and her gang are working for the omniversal magistrix opal luna saturnine right and we've heard of saturnine before from she used to date captain britain or or they had a relationship and uh i believe megan gets kind of upset about that she does yep and um let's see I guess she says she's responsible for maintenance and of order and reality in this sector of creation so a, a being as powerful as Phoenix uh, needs to be stand trial, I guess. Sure. And the Warwolves probably are working for Mojo to return her back to Mojoverse. And the former X-Men are just like, our friend is back. We got to go find our friend. But I would say that like, based on the fact that this all started with Kitty and Nightcrawler having a Mojo dream, I think... Mojo's kind of laying down the pieces here. He might be, uh, because in, I don't know, seven, eight months time, there will be another Excalibur uh, special edition, which is... Mojo Mayhem, which is also in the Epic Collection. Yeah, and that story, I, I, I don't remember it, but I recall really liking it, but maybe that's just because I like Mojo. Mojo's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a Mojo, well, there's a Marvel... There's an X-Men figure for all of the X-Men, but in particular, there's one for Mojo. Mm -hmm. One of these days, I want to pick it up. They should make an X-Men movie where it takes place in the Mojo-verse. That would be so much fun. I I don't disagree. The only way that that happens, in my opinion, is if they take a page from the Avengers, lay all the groundwork, get everybody into the X-Men universe, and then they can go do something wacky, like... A mojo, a mojo story. Yeah, yeah, I could totally see that. What do you, what do you think of this whole X Men Phoenix 
uh, movie thing that they're not going to shelf. Apparently, <laughs> is this our is this our mini episode about the trailer? <laughs> we're we're going to tangent just a little bit of it, but yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I liked the trailer. Uh, surprisingly, I was not expecting to like it. Um, I'm kind of I, knowing that it's probably dead in the water after this. Whether or not they release it will be up in the air. I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, I kind of, but overall, I'm not. I I, I have like a, a math feeling, which I think is what is making me kind of interested in it. I kind of feel like what's the point? Um, because of of what you just said. But then no, what's the what's the point is always will it make money? Well, right. Uh, but what's the point in going to see it um, if if the whole franchise is just going to be scrapped and rebooted? But then I had another frightening thought. What if what if like what's his name? Kevin Feige? Kevin Feige? I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that. OK, you know who I'm talking about, though, right? The, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. steward of the MCU. What if he's just like, this is our starting point and these are our characters? Doesn't that become frightening that instead of like starting it all over, they just like, yeah, sure, we'll take that and we'll we'll just continue with this. No, they would do that because they're, <laughs> they, they're going to have they, they want Wolverine. Yeah, they're, okay. they're, there's no way they're going to do an X-Men without Wolverine. That's true. And there's, it just feels like. If they're or, uh, the Avengers and the Marvel Cinematic Universes seems so well organized that I can't imagine they'd take this garbage ball that's the X-Men universe. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they'd take Deadpool as is and just be like, whatever, like that can just be its own thing. Right. Well, Deadpool can say, yeah, I used to work for Fox. Now I work for Disney, whatever. Sure. He breaks the third wall or fourth wall or whatever that is. So he could he could be like in a he could be an Avenger. And, and a yeah. proper Avenger. But then he could like pop up in his own movie with like a weird CGI Colossus and just be like, yep. <laughs> yeah. Doing totally. Deadpool things. So that, that I could buy. I think what's going to happen, my, my guess is that because all, all these people's contracts are ending at Marvel, they're going to do a Marvel phase two and phase two, the primary, the primary stuff where we had the Avengers was the primary stuff the first time around. I think the Fantastic Four and the X-Men are going to be the primary stuff. And there's still going to be a lot of weird spin-off movies and they're they're all going to be kind of interesting and well that, that's my prediction. I'm all for it. I think I think kick off some X-Men, kick off some Fantastic Four. You've got all these characters and people and if you can get, you know, Scarlett Johansson for 2 days, she boom, she got a cameo in the Fantastic Four. Uh, Supposedly she's getting a Black Widow movie. I don't believe it when I see it, though. They've been talking about that forever. I, I heard that as well. I, I'll, I'll go see it. Yeah. But, um, but that's my point is that, uh, you know, they don't, in my opinion, they never have to, and, I, they, and they won't, right, uh, make another Captain America movie because I think his contract is up. But they don't have to make those solo adventures anymore because, in my opinion, most of them, like when you look back on them, I was thinking about this the other day, like, uh, the original Iron Man was, I thought, really good. And then the next Marvel Cinematic Universe movie that I really liked was The Avengers. Um, Yeah, you might be right. And you got Thor in there. I think you got Iron Man 2 is in there. The Incredible Hulk is in there. No, that was the worst. <laughs> yeah. I really had high hopes for that, too. Ed Norton, you know. Yeah. Thought he could do it justice, but that movie was terrible. Um, yeah. Yeah, but phase phase two has or, or the 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 second part after Avengers has a lot of memorable stuff oh. between between Avengers and Avengers two and then Avengers two and Avengers three. There's a whole bunch of yeah, don't stuff. Get, it, don't it's get me like wrong. They're, they're 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 perfecting the formula. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, yes, the the old ones are 
uh, yeah, they're, they're just kind of showing their age, but I mean, we don't get here without those. So you can't, you, can't, you know, throw them under the bus or anything. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, 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 what about the new mutants horror movie? Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Um, I saw a maybe? trailer for it like six, seven, eight months ago and I was on, at the theater and I was like, Oh, this, I, this looks awesome. Yeah. It looks like a horror movie, which could be fun. So in my opinion, like whatever they do with the Marvel universe and the X-Men universe, like that movie could still come out and I don't think it would matter. And they, and the casting was pretty good on that too. Like people actually looked similar to the comic book, which is, which never happens. <laughs> uh, anyways, I, I think we digressed there for a little bit. Um, it's our show. We can do what we want. <laughs> Back to Excalibur. Uh, there's a, there's a really nice bit between Nightcrawler and Captain Britain. And Nightcrawler kind of gets Captain Britain back up to uh from being a drunk essentially. Right. Stop being a drunk. Get over yourself, he says in four pages. Yeah. Um but I think this also sets up the relationship between Nightcrawler and Captain Britain in the series. Like they're they're teammates, but there's always kind of like a little bit of a friction between the two of them. Um it's worth everybody like like Kitty and Nightcrawler after having one dream with the werewolves where they where they meet the werewolves for the first time, suddenly they just feel like they know the werewolves. Oh look, it's the werewolves. Yeah, I, I don't like that. And up it's in, like oh, how about those are the creatures from our dream? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. And is this the first appearance of werewolves? It is. I, I had to look it up because at, at some point I got confused about whether they had. Maybe they recognize the werewolves from a previous adventure. So I had to I had to check and no, this is this is the first appearance. Dang it. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like I don't know. I think the werewolves are a neat idea, but I just I don't know. It, it doesn't go anywhere for me. They they all look like T one thousands before before T one thousands, so that's kinda cool. Yeah. Uh the gate crasher villains. I, I like this uh this green lizard guy that has like three pouches that he can like eat people but he's not really eating them he's just capturing them he, he looks like he swallows them whole the same way a, a snake swallows something just kind of a slow sucking in and then he he pops them into his or is it she here is she i don't know and there's a, but it's it's like the the little pouches are like a mucus because nightcrawler is able to cut through them and and the bodies kind of slide out <laughs> yeah so this this green creature who's probably has a name. It does. I just can't remember what it is. It has caught, I, it has caught Rachel who is just wandering the streets of London. And at the mansion, it caught, uh, Megan who was visiting Kitty and as also Kitty. Yes. And, and that's another thing is like Kitty and, uh, uh, Megan seem to have a weird prior relationship. And we know that they met in the one where they all turned to the ex kids. Ex babies. Megan wasn't there for that. Um, was she there? Was she there for the other one where uh, Kitty and Doug go in? Or no, that was where Psylocke and Doug go into the Mojoverse, and Captain Britain's there. Was she in that one? I probably. I don't remember. Well, I have to imagine if she wasn't in those issues, she was around. Yeah. Well, I think earlier on, Megan's like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. Captain Britain, he's so upset. I know. And I just thought she was going to go back to the mansion to go find X-Men to talk to because that's the, the those are the only other people that she knew. But she knows that the X-Men are dead. So hmm. she goes to Mirror Island where, where she, she also knows that Kitty and Nightcrawler are, which 
I don't know. I guess I guess we just have there's there's a lot going on that we don't see. Yeah. And we just have to take for granted. Oh, uh, Megan has a prior relationship with the X-Men. We never saw that. But OK, uh, she the, uh, uh, near island is apparently keeping up with Captain Britain and Megan. <laughs> uh, was she in X-Men annual number 11? Which one was that? So where Wolverine becomes a god in the Citadel. The Citadel was Captain Britain in that one. Captain, oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, wasn't he was. He? Yeah, because uh, 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 Megan and um, uh, Captain Britain had like kids, and they were normally like, "Come, Betsy, be our housemaid." That's your okay. dream, and she's like, "No, it, I want to be a powerful person." So at that point, but Kitty, Kitty was was in was, a tube at that point, right? Well, maybe maybe the X Men explained that off panel, and we're like. Oh, I'm going to start visiting Kitty. Here's what I think. Um, the X-Men knew that at some point there would be a mutant or another creature that was going to be a part of their extended family that couldn't read. So most of the files <laughs> are done in pictures. Well, and nice. so Megan went through the files, but the picture files, and she's like, oh, okay, Kitty's named like a cat. And then, yeah. That's that's what happened. They they had to have maybe maybe they're like pen pals. Well, yeah, sure. Although Megan can't write, <laughs> they're picture pals. <laughs> they're they're picture pals. Yeah, they they send each other videos on VHS. <laughs> so um, there's also this like flying baby creature that makes Kitty fat, which is kind of fun. It's like those are the two favorite characters of mine: are the the green membrane sucky up guy and then this floating baby thing i think most of these are new to this like i well, at least i've never seen him before gatecrasher we know was in earlier issues of captain britain and we know that the creature on gatecrasher's back was also there it's like some sort of servant of hers um so th they fight right and, and and not to leave it as like a generic they fight it's it's kind of like a Mexican standoff where like Gatecrasher gang is walking around and the werewolves attack and then Well, it's it's supposed to be one of those things where like all of the opposing forces meet up at the same place and the ensuing ma uh, fight is kind of messy and fun and but, but mostly it's just messy. Yeah, I'm there's not gonna... a, there's there's a little bit of fun. I think it's cute when Gatecrasher who is like this really big being is touched by somebody and then she shrinks or he shrinks. I don't even know what Gatecrasher is. It's androgynous. When when they shrink. <laughs> and then but, Kitty um, punches Gatecrasher across the face and Gatecrasher falls over. And like that's the end of the fight. When Werewolf cuts the, the three pseudopods in the back of the green guy's well, back, um, it looks night... like it kills this. Well, Night Nightcrawler uh, dodges. Oh, you're right. Into that area, and then the werewolf so, slashes it accidentally. So yeah, Nightcrawler sets up the 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 punch. Um, but I feel like this poor green guy is dead. Maybe body bag. That's the green guy's name. Body bag. That's a great name too. <laughs> what about the flying baby? What's the flying baby's name? The flying baby's name. Um, baby flyer. <laughs> there's like a. There's like a octopus guy that's got two normal legs but then like eight tentacles the the flying baby's name is joy boy oh and then you've got like a, a snake woman who, who kind of looks like bride of frankenstein i'm pretty sure they all don't have names or i, if I they bet do, you they do all have names well i know i know they do but i mean they don't all get named in this issue that's very Here, possible let's see let's use the power of the internet to figure this out <laughs> we got gate crasher 
Okay. Who's the, who's the main one? Yep. Yap, who is the one who sits on the shoulder of Gatecrasher. Okay. Kind of Scatterbrain. Like, Yap is kind of like uh, uh, oh, what, what? Salacious Crumb. Salacious Crumb. There you go. Uh, Scatterbrain, Pharaoh, Ring Toss, Thug, China Doll, Waxworks, Body Bag, and Joy Boy. Uh, so China Doll, Waxworks, Body Bag, and Joy Boy are all new. Thug, Ring Toss, Pharaoh, and Scatterbrain, and Gatecrasher and Yap have all appeared before. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody goes their separate ways. The Warwolves, they're all damaged. They're like in the sewers, and there's like a small Warwolf. There's like a mutilated leg Warwolf. Um, and then the Gatecrasher gang, I guess they're defeated because Kitty punched out Gatecrasher, so they teleport away. And everybody's happy that Rachel's back. And why wouldn't they be? Rachel's great. Yeah. No, so it's a great reunion. I think they all, are they on Muir Island or maybe they're in England? I don't know. They're they're together all at a campfire, just kind of chit-chatting about what's going on. And they're all about to go their separate way when they decide to forge a team. And yes. it's going to be like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round. And the X-Men are dead. So this is pretty much all you're going to get. Right. Right. There's no more X-Men comic books, people. Did you get a romantic vibe between Rachel and Kitty? No. It, it, was, it was very subtle, but I feel like maybe Chris Claremont was planning to do something along this way, the, the way, but I don't know if he ever, he ever, like, I feel like he's, he's dropping tiny, the tiniest of hints. Really? That's, uh, is there any, do you have an example you could point to? Uh, no, because I read this last week. Oh, no, I just got the, the, I mean, I just got the vibe that they're really good friends. They're uh, more or less the same age. Kitty's 14. Rachel's maybe 16 or 17. Uh, I guess, I guess maybe I'll keep an eye open for that. Like maybe I just misread something. It's certainly possible, but uh, I'm definitely going to, I'm going to see if that comes to fruition. So a couple of episodes ago, I said, uh, do you remember the mutant registration card? And if you filled it all out, like your character could be drawn and be featured in a Marvel comic book. Mm -hmm. I thought, and I believe that I was wrong, that the dude that's on the back of the Excalibur comic kind of looks like a Cybermat. Yeah. It's a big silver ball. I thought that that was the character submission. Oh. The timing seemed to be about right. You know, you'd fill out your cards in issue 224, and then you'd have all of Fall of the Mutants. So it's like three months had gone by, and then Excalibur comes out. This character isn't featured in the comic, but it's like, for some reason, it's just like on the back of Excalibur for no reason whatsoever. Well, uh, it, it it is a character that will later appear in Excalibur. It will, but it's not in this issue. So I thought like this no. was the teaser for the character that was submitted for the mutant registration. Do you know that it appears in Excalibur? I know it just, uh, because the thing, like what exactly was the contest? Like what, what the was the, what was the winnings? The, I don't think you won like money or anything. I think the, the winning was that your character would appear in one of the mutant related comic books. Didn't say it was X-Men, okay. X-Factor, new mutants, Excalibur. It just said, your character would be drawn at random, maybe, or maybe selected as the best, and then appear in one of the mutant comic books. Wow, we should do contests like that. <laughs> uh, we may or may not do something with this, but it'll be awesome. No, no, no. I mean, they 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 definitely promised to use the character once. Uh, maybe it's the janitor on the cover of number four. Well, spoilers, the silver guy 
is not the winner of that contest, but I still I do know who the winner is. Oh, you do? Okay. Oh, I do. And uh, are you saving that information for when it's pertinent? When we see the character, okay, I will say that's the character. And in fact, I think the comic is even like, remember that contest? Well, here the person is. Okay, I'm looking forward to it now. Yeah, super. I'll exciting. totally forget, but I'm looking forward to being reminded. So, yeah, there you go. Excalibur uh, sword is drawn. Um, yep, Kitty and Nightcrawler are back. Um, Rachel's back. Captain Britain and Megan are there. <laughs> I wonder, like, certainly Alan Davis was probably very excited by this project. Um, I think that and this is an opportunity for Alan Davis to do whatever he wants. And Chris Claremont is just... Uh, you know, maybe steering him a little bit, but for the most part, I think he's just trying to make something out of the chaos and having a ball. And, and I'm not right. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. Uh, and I would agree. I don't, I don't think so. Um, in fact, I've, I've read in places where uh, Chris Claremont was supposedly really easy to work with so much so that he'd be like, what do you want to do? Oh, okay. That's a cool idea. And then he just kind of like put the dialogue together and let the artist just kind of go crazy with the story. Crazy with the cheese whiz. And so, and I also think uh, Chris Claremont, isn't he from England? I think he's from England. Uh, I believe so, yeah. So this is maybe just like a, um, I don't know, like a dream project. Like he gets to write about jolly old England. Alan Davis is Alan Davis, who was probably pretty prominent at this time in the 80s. He's probably one of the best artists working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. but I'm just curious, like I never, I don't know that there was like comic book charts or anything. And I'm sure maybe you could look some of this up, but I, I really wonder how well Excalibur was received. I mean, I think volume one made it to over a hundred issues, I believe, 175 issues maybe. Hmm. And well, then, so it, could, it couldn't have been doing too poorly. And then it started over, there's like a volume two and then there's like a new Excalibur, just like Marvel does. They just renumber things. But so I think it's consistently, I don't know if it is a series right now, but it was consistently a series for a very long time. I mean, you can pretty much tell how something is doing by whether or not it gets canceled. Yeah. Um, and, yes. and and as you're reading it, you can even tell like when people are starting to lose interest, you know, uh, writers, artists, they'll start to slip off. You'll start to get lesser known writers and artists, you know, people who get to cut their teeth on things are generally not a good sign that a series is doing well. <laughs> I'll be curious um, to see this, how how long this creative team stays together on Excalibur? Because I honestly don't know how long they do. Well, I can tell you that in the Epic Collection, starting from issue 10, it's a different artist. But that said, the last issue in this collection is 11. So 12 might feature Alan Davis's return. I don't know. Right. Could have been a fill-in issue. Exactly. It's it's ten and eleven are drawn by Marshall Rogers. So maybe maybe Alan Davis was just on vacation. So had you read this before, or had you read this when it came out? I've never read in a single issue of Excalibur. Oh, so what did you think? I it was I'm it, it, it's it's difficult because by itself it's not very strong. Although there's a lot of neat little creative stuff. Like uh, we should mention the the Alan Davis is he seems to always be accompanied by Paul Neary, which as as the inker and I I don't know if like the two of them are a renowned team but the the artwork is fantastic. Um, I don't know I've been reading the uh, Jim Lee's Alpha Flight and uh, it's not it's not terrific, but when you find an inker 
Like, like J- Jim Lee's artwork is good, but it's not as good as when he finds his Scott Williams. Right. So I don't know. So I, maybe Paul Neary is pretty important. I've never seen Alan Davis without Paul Neary, I guess. Um, at any rate, like it's, it's okay, but I, it, it has me curious to know what's going on. I kind of really didn't know what was going on. Exactly. And I think the only reason I bought future issues was because the artwork was good. And as we've talked about before, I, I, I was more of a style over substance person. When it came I, to as, a, as, a, as an adult, I would probably buy this uh, and just probably because of the art and just to see where these two wacky creators are going to go. Like I, I, I love that stuff now. Uh, as a kid, probably wouldn't. Right. Which and again, uh, the the comic itself, I think, was like a dollar seventy five in a time. Oh, was it on the the nicer paper and all that stuff? Yep. So it was always kind of yeah. like, well, do I have enough for it? No, I guess maybe next time. I got to save my dollar seventy five for Wolverine. Or it might have been a dollar and a quarter. Whatever it was, it was more than seventy five cents at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I think we're due for a price hike up to a buck soon. I think we already hit it. No. I think it was last issue. I don't think so. Because uh, I'm looking at the cover to Power Pack number 36 right now, and it is a dollar, and it is from April, and we just covered the April Uncanny X-Men issue. Yeah, but Power Pack was a comic book direct, a specialty store direct, and I feel like those were always a little bit more expensive. Oh, okay. But... I'm going to look it up right now. X-Men number 227. Oh, but 228 might have gone to a dollar. 227 is 75 cents. I bet you 228. I bet you it's a dollar. No, still 75 cents. Hmm. Well, we'll we'll keep uh, 229 is where it starts. That actually makes sense. Fascinating. (laughs) This this has been how much do comics cost with Jeremy and Adam? Yeah, super exciting. Anyways, uh, (laughs) there you go. So, um... It's a, uh, um, that was a, so as, a, a, as an adult, did you enjoy it more than as a child? Um, I probably appreciated the artwork more as an adult than I did as a kid. As a kid, I recognized like this was good artwork. The lines were clear. I mean, I don't really know what my, my definition, I know what my definition of good art was like, do do the people look like people? Because you get like a Rick Leonardi and they're just like kind of deformed. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, a number of other artists just have like their own take on it. And if, if they weren't like like proportioned, like a traditional proportioned comic book character was, and, and probably inking was super important, but I just didn't know it uh, with really clean lines, then it wasn't good artwork. But now I, I revisit some of that stuff, and we've talked about this before. Where something I saw as a kid as like bad artwork, I've looked back and been like, "Oh, this is super interesting what they're doing here." Um, anyways, yeah. I, I don't know. So I, yeah, I appreciated the artwork more. Uh, the story, no, uh, I don't appreciate the story anymore. Like I never disliked it, but it was never like because I would it's, a Saturday would come by. Remember a Saturday when you were a kid when it seemed like a, a Saturday was like infinitely long. And now as an adult, you take a nap and you're like, damn it, where'd my Saturday go? (laughs) (laughs) My point is, though, I would get up on a Saturday and I would sometimes just be like, today I'm going to read comic books. And I would read like 40 comic books, maybe not 40, but I would read like a huge pile of comic books and get reacquainted with all the stories. This was rarely ever on the list of those things that I would read. Mm. Well, that is telling. 
Yeah. So anyhow, there you go. Uh, as you may have been able to tell dear listeners, we, we kind of covered this issue in a different format rather than doing a page by page because it's not really super important to the contents of the Uncanny X-Men. Uh, we decided to do it a little, little bit more like a conversation uh, and we'd like your feedback. Do you, you like that? Uh, and if you do... You should let us know uh, by by contacting us at yeah because we're thinking about doing the uh, supplemental material in that more laid back formula yeah uh, where we just kind of conversationalize at it so so yeah if if if, if you like that idea um, well if if you I guess if yeah if you like that idea if you don't like that idea let us know um, we might try it anyway yeah but if you absolutely hate it. Maybe we won't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why we're asking you this stuff. We're going to do what we do. Yeah. Um, although, no, not, we will listen, I guess. We'll take it into account. Now I'm just rambling. You're kind of all How over the place. How can you contact us? <laughs> www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com uh, forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Tweet us at Danger Room Go. You can email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. We're on iTunes. Go out there, search uh, for... Us, Danger Rooms, the first podcast that'll show up. You can leave us a rating, subscribe to us, leave us some feedback there if you'd like. Uh, you can call us at 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. And uh, now you can also support us on Patreon because that's what everybody does, it's Patreon. Yeah, our, our Patreon is Slim Pickens right now. Um, it is at what, uh, patreon.com slash danger room. And um, right now, all you can do is uh, submit a dollar a month. And uh, but, but we we have some ideas for opening that up and coming up with like prizes and and stuff like that. Um, right now, we're kind of testing the waters of the whole Patreon thing just to see is anybody actually going to do it? Does anybody care? I so. I listen to some podcasts that are uh, uh, Patreon supported, and uh, apparently. Some people do actually go out to Patreon and give them a buck, two, or five, or you know, whatever. So people do it, or we're just being lied to. <laughs> <laughs> it could be just a big scheme for Patreon to get all the money, and the podcasters don't get anything, in which case, that'd suck. Well, we'll find out. We'll report <laughs> it to you. So, here, so here's the challenge. and Help us find out by 10 of you going out and becoming a scootin' futzer with us. Yeah. Dollar contribution level, and we'll tell you how much money out of that dollar we got. Does anybody yeah. do that? Oh, did we sign like an NDA? Can we not do that? Oh, we did actually sign something. I didn't really read it that well, though. <laughs> <laughs> or no, that was actually. You know what else I did today? I tried to sign us up for Spotify. They had a huge thing that you had to read through. I'm I'm kind of worried that I signed away my <laughs> first child to Spotify. <laughs> but it was very difficult. But we're probably not going to hear from them for like several months. We we have yet to be able to say that we are on Spotify. Did you they're, just, they're, did you sign the show rights over to Spotify? It is, it is quite possible that we're going to be. This will be our last show. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they're gonna they're gonna fire us and put two real podcasters in here to continue the series. It could be. <laughs> well, anyways, there you go. Uh, get a hold of uh, get a hold of us at those locations, and in the meantime, we have got. A little bit of communication to go through. Yeah. So last episode, well, uh, we didn't know what the word readout mean, and we got a surprising bit of feedback around that. Yeah. Apparently, the way to solicit feedback is to be like, this word, I don't know what it means. <laughs> and the internet comes alive. They're like, we'll tell you what it means. 
That's awesome. So we got a tweet from Alan Middleton, uh, and actually with the same day as we got a, a phone call, which we'll play next, but Alan says, Redoubt, it is a fort of some kind, maybe built into a hill or the land some other way. And then we got a phone message. Uh, I believe this is from Alex. Hi, Adam and Jeremy. This is Alex, long-time listener. Uh, you were confused about the meaning of redoubt. A redoubt is a temporary defensive structure. Ironically, Colossus, being Russian, when Russia was attacked by Napoleon and the French, they uh, won several battles by uh, using series uh, a series of redoubts to uh, fight and retreat and fight and retreat and wear down the French armies. Colossus's usage here is kind of a Claremontism. I think uh, usage of a word that kind of applies but really doesn't. Well, be well. See ya. So after listening to that message, uh, it was totally Alex that called in a few episodes ago to tell us about long shots. So this Alex guy is filled with information. Yeah, he's 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 very helpful. Keep being helpful. We we love hearing from you. And uh, you know, anytime you want to fill in some gaps or uh, answer stupid questions, <laughs> <laughs> not stupid questions, Adam. I mean, our 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 the things uh, that we don't feel like looking up for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> our lazy questions. There you go. Uh, we also got Tom Callen. He let us know. Uh, he he contacted us. He said, "Just discovered your pod." He began reading X titles last year, beginning with 1963's number one. He's currently at 224. That's a lot of reading. A lot of reading. He's probably already ahead of us. Uh, <laughs> I'm currently at number 224. So finding you guys right now is perfect timing. Looking forward to checking in with you as I progress through my. Reread. Yeah, oh. so we're we're not. Oh, he said yeah. reread. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, I missed. So I was probably, like, he's probably not going to wait for us, and he's probably going to end up doing a re reread. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, welcome. Uh, uh, glad to have you. Um, that's all I got. We also got a message from Lee Blander on the uh, Twitter, which said Wolverine's retractable adamantium teeth would be a great name for a band. I'm thinking that's more of a song title. Well, from what band? Uh, maybe maybe Retractable Teeth is just the band. And then they have a song called Wolverine's Retractable Teeth. Wolverine's Retractable Adamantium Teeth. We could be sure. Uh, you, I could. It, the title of the song would be W R A T. It'd be like W dot R dot A dot T. Oh, like rat, <laughs> rat. <laughs> so that's By the metal retractable song. Retractable teeth. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I don't disagree with that either. Adrian Bundy. Uh, tweeted us, please don't stop doing side issues. So more, more calls for keeping that. He enjoys the getting the full panorama. Uh, as an X-Men only reader, I love hearing uh, what the randos are doing in the Marvel Universe. Keep up the great work. So yeah, we we uh, we have not gotten any messages saying that we should lose the side issues. So we're gonna, we actually do listen to you, I guess. I was wrong in my weird rant earlier. Uh, we do listen to you, so so let us know what you want. If we had received, you know, seven to ten comments saying like the side issues are the most boring thing of your podcast, and I always shut it off, <laughs> I think we would have stopped. Yeah, we definitely would have, because <laughs> that's that's some that's that's feedback. And finally, we got a, another voice message. Hi, uh, Adam and Jeremy. This is Usman, a blast from the past. Anyway, uh, just listened to the last episode. 
I did not look up what readout is, but a readout is basically like a small fortress or kind of like a fortified outpost. It's a little protective structure for Wolverine. I also wanted to mention that I did look up who Manoli Weatherill is. She is, in fact, a real person, uh, an actual sound engineer who worked at NPR and uh, just retired last year. So, But anyway, uh, lovely to hear from you uh, and to listen to the podcast. I'm glad you're still at it. And uh, happy belated Canadian Thanksgiving. Bye. Thank you, Usman. When I was a kid, I always corrected my parents because they'd be like, you going to hang out with Usman? And I'd be like, no, it's Usman. (laughs) And it turns out I was wrong. It was never Usman. No, it never was. I then, after reading that message, was like, I I have to go find Manoli. So I also looked her up. I found that current article, um, current.org, I think it was, a picture of her. She looks like just an older version of what was drawn in the comic book. She got like red hair and like, like a kind of maybe, maybe a shock of white or gray or whatever, but I feel like Manoli in the comic book kind of had funky hair and this woman still has funky hair. And it was all about her retirement party um, from NPR. And so I, I tried desperately to find her email address. I didn't try desperately. I Googled like three things. Couldn't find her email address because <laughs> <laughs> again, you know, lazy. Uh, but, but I did, she's on LinkedIn. So this is probably like stalkery and weird, but I, I'd sent a message. I was like, I sent it with the headline of, oh my God, you're real. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I felt like, like, let's not bury the lead. Like if somebody's going to get like, like unknown message and the subject is, oh my God, you're real. Well, you're either going to be like, okay, this weird stalker wants to kill me, or I'm going to read this because this looks interesting. Or option three, uh, more spam. <laughs> well, that could be too. Um, uh, so, and in there, I put in like, uh, you know, I read about you in, in X-Men comic books, and up until today, I thought you were just a mythical creation of Chris Claremont's as a sidekick for Neil Conan. What a shock to find out that you're real. Congratulations on your retirement. And then I asked her a couple of questions about like, how did this come about? Did she have any input into her story arc? Did she get like some royalties? Because as you recall, she has a story arc before she's like, ooh, those damn muties. But then she's like, oh, they're not so bad after all. They're heroes. Um, So I sent that message and I haven't heard anything so oh oh i was i really yeah anxiously anticipating i wish to god i could be like and here is a recorded (laughs) interview that i will play now uh but no she she probably did see it and be like uh stalker or spam or straight to her junk mail or maybe she's like i don't work anymore i don't even log into linkedin (laughs) (laughs) so maybe it wasn't the best communications vehicle because it's hard to tell you know like uh, LinkedIn is one of those things like Pinterest where like you click on a link once and all of a sudden you have an account. I don't know if that's Maybe. happened to you. Like I've done some things where I'm like, I want to do this thing and it'll be like a creative project. And there's like a thing on Pinterest, like you can do this thing and you'll click on the link and it'll be like, congratulations, you're now a subscriber. And you're like, what? I don't want to be a member of your page. I just want to look at this person's neat thing. <laughs> I feel like that's how I got my LinkedIn account in the first place is somebody tried to connect with me and I clicked on a link and it said click here to like finish and I did stupidly and I was like welcome to LinkedIn and I actually interviewed with LinkedIn see how just to see how far I could get 
in the job process, I, I did not get an offer. Oh, well, I mean, they're, they're a big deal now, but when they first started out, it was kind of like, what is this? What is the point of this thing? Yeah. Like a lot of people don't know what, what they really do. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's, it's more of a, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, scary that they do what they do, but, um, it's not really scary. It's only, it's only scary if you don't realize that that's going on. What do they do, Adam? They're basically headhunters. Well, yeah. 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 I, I didn't realize that. Like, I always thought it was just this uh, open platform for people to, you know, have a uh, a presence of, of resumes on the web. But no, they actually do. Uh, they, they, they sell, they shop, and they, they shop your information out to other places. And it's yeah. it just, it creeps me out. Uh, that was maybe that was their business plan from day one. I kind of feel like their business plan was more like, hey, because in the in the old days you you would collect connections. I don't think you have that so much anymore. And so me and my coworkers would compete with how who could have the most amount of third level connections. Because your first level connections were like me and you know each other, so we connect. And then mm-hmm. our second level connections would be like your friends, your friend that I don't know would be my second connection, and then right. their friend that you didn't know and I didn't know would be my third connection. So like we would we would like friend all these people, and um, then our third level connections we watch them grow from like a hundred to a thousand to thirty thousand to sixty thousand, and then we'd just compete to see who could get that number the highest. Uh, which maybe was part of their plan, probably, <laughs> and we fell for it, and uh, <laughs> and now we have LinkedIn accounts. But yeah, they, uh, I tell you though, it was the uh, it was it's it's the worst. Like, have you ever done a phone interview? Yes. Oh, uh, it was it was the worst phone interview I've ever done. Because like the the guys that I were talking to were like tech guys, and I'm a tech guy fairly, uh, but we were trying to communicate the same concepts in different ways that we were just like running circles in e- around each other. And it was so frustrating that it was just a terrible interview. The biggest problem I have with phone interviews is one party usually has a cell phone, which means there's <laughs> a massive de- delay. Oh uh, yeah. And so like, you know, the interviewee is like, so tell me about a time, blah, blah, blah. And then you do your response and maybe you pause to think about it and then they start talking, but you didn't hear them start talking. So you start talking. Now you're talking <laughs> over each other and then you're like, oh, I feel so unprofessional and like I'm interrupting and yeah. 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 It's awful. Yeah. And now, nowadays it's all about face-to-face phone conversations, which I imagine are, I've never done one of those. Uh, I imagine they're that much worse. I've, what do you mean? Like on Skype or something? Yeah. That's like, that's like, like phone interviews are a thing of the past. Now it's all Skype interviews where people can see your face. That makes sense. I, I didn't do a Skype interview, but I did have to do a proctored exam for my current job. And that was all over (laughs) video. They had to like, they videoed me while I was doing this exam. It's weird. That's exciting. Did you scratch, scratch your crotch? I was naked. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, look, if you're going to like watch me in my home, then you're going to watch me in my home. Why are we doing this at 4 a.m.? What do you expect? <laughs> so anyways, uh, yeah, we're, we're we're not done yet, though, everybody. Uh, we we oh. keep digressing, but uh, we do need to talk by, about by, power by, pack. By, wait, before you get into that, oh. um, uh, the Wikipedia page says that Neil Conan, <clears throat> back to Neil Conan, yes. is a friend of comics writer Chris Claremont. Uh, This is Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. As a result, he has been featured sporadically in Claremont scripted comic books at both Marvel and DC Comics and as a sympathetic journalist over the years. 
Conan is featured as a minor character in Fall of the Mutants. What about Manoli Weatherall? Uh, I did not look up her Wikipedia page. I suppose I could do that right now. <laughs> Manoli Weatherall is a friend of a friend of Chris Claremont's. <laughs> and was you can find her on his LinkedIn page. <laughs> 12,000th third level member. Let's see. Manoli Weatherall. Redirect from... Oh, that's weird. I mean, you look at Manoli Weatherall on Wikipedia, it redirects to Uncanny X-Men. That's weird. That's not helpful at all. <laughs> Maybe everybody thinks she's not real. <laughs> yeah, so so uh, apparently there is no information on Wikipedia on Manoli Weatherall. That's weird. So anyways, yeah, my LinkedIn message is out there, uh, and that's where I'm going to leave it. Like, I'm not going to drill in for more contact information, because that would be weird and stalkery. But if anybody out there knows her or how to contact her, I, for one, would certainly love to know the answers to my two questions. Was she consulted about her story arc, and was there any sort of kickback or royalties? Which I doubt. Or if you want to spam the crap out of her on our behalf. No, don't do that. Don't do that. that. Please don't do that. And if you do spam the crap out of her, don't do it with our name. (laughs) So, uh, Power Pack number 36. Um, It has Master Mold. Yeah. Uh, I think... Louise Simonson, who is writing X-Factor and Power Pack, has basically taken ownership of um, of Master Mold. And also it deals with this concept of the 12th that was introduced in – or the, the 12 that was introduced in X-Factor. Yes. But this is written and drawn by John Bogdanova. Bogdanov. And it's uh, in uh, nurturing – and inspiration by Judy, Wheezy, and Walt. So Walt Simonson. Who's Judy and Wheezy? Wheezy is Louise. Ah, okay, okay. Then then your your uh, theory holds. <laughs> uh, Judy, I don't know who Judy is. Okay, Judy Dench. Maybe she was involved with comics for a little Probably while. that's what it is. <laughs> uh, and this is an interesting uh, issue. Features uh, little Franklin having his little visions as he does. Franklin is the 12th of the twelve. Right. And we actually, we actually, somewhere in here, there's a, uh, there is, we learn a few more, it's, like, I don't know if we're keeping track of the, who the 12 were. It's on page we get, nine. Yeah. We get a couple, we get to see a couple more of them. Apparently Apocalypse, um, Professor X. Well, now wait a minute. Is that Apocalypse? Cause this guy has fangs. That doesn't Apocalypse have fangs sometimes. <laughs> it, Everybody has fangs when Mark Silvestri draws it. I mean, doesn't that count for anything? <laughs> this isn't Mark Silvestri. This is John Bogdanov. I know, but I'm just saying, if this was a Mark Silvestri drawing, Apocalypse would have fangs. Therefore, Apocalypse sometimes has fangs. I I agree that the intent is for this to be Apocalypse, but it doesn't look like Apocalypse. <laughs> the guy up in the left-hand corner, I think most people would leap to the conclusion that it's Professor Xavier, but I think it's Vanisher. Oh, man. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> or... <laughs> Baron Strucker, who I don't think was a mutant, but... Uh, we get some new ones. I don't think we know about Kitty Pride, Cannonball, or where, Danny Moonstar. Wait, wait, wait. Where do you see Kitty Pride? Isn't that Kitty Pride to the left of Cyclops? No, that looks like female Thunderbird. No, it's Kitty Pride. To the left? No, no, no. To the left bottom, that's Danny Moonstar. Oh, okay. To the left top, that's Kitty Pride. It's she's got purple hair and full lips. Are you sure it's not Betsy Braddock? It's she's got purple hair, but it's uh, I think it's just a coloration of the hair. I don't think it's Betsy. Mm. I could be wrong. And then you've got Storm. Storm stands out, and you got Cannonball, and then you've got Madeline Pryor on there for some reason. I don't think that's Madeline Pryor. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you think it's Rachel Gray? 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's probably Gene. And then you have in the foreground, is this maybe grown up uh, Franklin? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, they they make it clear at some point in this because I was like, who is this? And then I r- read some of the captions and it revealed that, oh, this is grown up Franklin. And it's interesting. You- grown up Franklin here has the same kind of stripey things as Rachel does. Well, I didn't, didn't they date in the future or was that Franklin and Kitty? I can't remember. No, it was Franklin and Rachel that dated in the future. Oh yeah. So they, they like traded marks. Yeah. But those are like mutant hunting marks that the Sentinels put on them. They weren't originally mutant hunting, uh, hunter marks. They were originally love marks, but, (laughs) uh, the, the mutant enslavers manipulated those marks to be something totally different. Wow. Jerks. (laughs) No kidding. So yeah, the 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 general gist of this is that uh, Master Mold has reconstructed himself because he caught wind of the twelfth. Where did we leave off with Master Mold? Did Cyclops destroy him? Cyclops lured him to like an oil refinery in Alaska and then blew the whole place down. And so we didn't actually see him destroyed. We saw him destroyed, but I think at the end of the issue, we saw like maybe some metal twitching. Okay, so Master Mold, through some means, uh, does does rebuild himself. Oh yeah, totally. And we see it with we see like tiny little pieces of him, and he use like uses a ship that's sunk into the the uh, into the ocean to rebuild himself. Oh, and here's where we see the full body of, of Franklin. Yep. 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 Um, three phases. We got a little Franklin who is uh, a nervous system and then future Franklin, which gets a sort of costume. And then, um, you got four phases of Franklin. You got like embryo slash baby. Oh, then you got yeah, toddler. Okay. And then you've got maybe like teenage superhero version. And then you've got like godlike Franklin future code facts, data, Tattletale slash Ultiman, the 12th, Richards Franklin B. So at some point he's going to rename himself from Tattletale to Ultiman. It's canon. He's it makes Ultiman. sense. I mean, his his dad was Mr. Fantastic. Where are you going to go from there? Yeah, yeah. Ultiman. Sure. <laughs> So yeah, he's got a. He's been having these nightmares. He doesn't want to tell uh, the Fantastic Four because um, he, they're going to have a sleepover at at the Powers's house. And Franklin's like, "Well, if I tell my parents about my bad dream, I won't be able to have a sleepover with my friends. And I really want to have a sleepover with my friends." So it's good kid logic. I buy it. And uh, you know, kids are at the park, and Master Mold attacks. Yeah, and uh, the Power Pack kids have to use their their powers and ingenuity to kind of figure out what to do because Master Mold's pretty unstoppable. Well, Master Mold's super powerful, and the Fantastic Four isn't. They're, they're still they, their powers have switched as we've talked about in in previous subs, uh, uh, supplemental portions of our comic, uh, and they still haven't quite adapted to their power sets. Um, and they want to. They also want to keep Franklin on the side, so they keep like. And plus, Franklin is afraid, so they keep kind of putting him far enough away that uh, Master Mold has to go after him. Well, they also do that because Franklin's dream showed Master Mold stepping on and squishing Franklin. So if they keep Franklin as far away as possible, then then the dream can't come true. 
So they are basically able to use their powers. Uh, Jack uses his absorbing ability. Like he has the, the, I think the ability that Katie used to have where he can absorb um, any, any object and that gives him a massive uh, power source with which to make power balls from. Her handle used to be Energizer. And she could disintegrate things to create the power balls. Yeah. Yeah. So he uses uh, his power to disintegrate more or less uh, most of ma- uh, Master Mold, which he does. Um, and then, because it's such a large amount of material, he explodes. Yeah. And then survives. He he does survive. It's a good explosion I mean, panel too. That's pretty cool. And and the caption says blast. And it's, he does, but before all that happens, I mean, Master Mold has almost squished Franklin, has been wrecked. uh, And then there, you get this like really crazy deranged Master Mold uh, amalgamation on page 20, which is kind of neat, where it's just like made up of dump trucks and and earth movers because they they are on a construction site at this point. Yeah, he's very quickly grabbing whatever is, is available to reconstruct himself as he's being deconstructed by J- uh, by is it Jack or Alex? I guess it's Alex. I I don't know. Jack's one of the, the kids. Jack's one the, of the boys. Yeah, Jack's the younger one if I recall correctly. Okay. Uh and uh, also this story helps um Alex with some of his uh he's the leader of the group. But he's got a lot of self-doubt because he doesn't quite know how to use his powers, which has been kind of a a theme for a bunch of power pack issues here. Uh, But now, like, since he was able to, like, blow this robot up, he's like, okay, maybe he got the handle on this. It was especially upsetting to him that his younger brother, Jack, got his powers and learned how to do stuff that he never even thought of doing right. very quickly. And so Power Pack leaves the place um, thinking it's destroyed totally, although Franklin's like, are you sure? Uh, they all take off, and we do see a little electronic component beeping beeping away. Which I think is the same component that he constructed himself from at the beginning of the issue. I think you're right. And the caption at the very end says, the end, question mark? Dun, dun, dun. And uh, no, not to spoil it, but we will see Master Mold again. You'll hear it here in Danger Room if, if we catch wind of it. We almost missed this one. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't aware that this existed. And I'm pretty <laughs> happy we did read it because uh, well, I like the all things story related around Master Mold. We've been following that character for a while now. Yeah, we have our favorites. Mm-hmm. And the other thing we read was Marvel Comics Presents number one. Um and I've timed this out perfectly so that if we read one and one of these in issue, by the time we get done, Wolverine number one will be out. Oh. So that's why we're starting this this soon. So the X-Men are dead, remember. Incontinent. So two things, three things. I don't like this cover. Second thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, second thing, uh, does, where does this take place in continuity? Or does it take place in continuity? Um, it does. I believe shortly after the X-Men, um, uh, reappear like, like, uh, on earth, not the Wolverine to all intents and purposes in this issue is still dead. Okay. And in fact, as of Wolverine issue one, he will adapt his patch guys. So this probably came out around X-Men number 229 and follows loosely the the storyline that that he's dead uh this probably came out 
around more like uh, X Men two thirty two, let's say. Oh, okay. But this this uh, this came out two to three times a month. Right. Um, so it's probably a pain in the butt to collect. The cover of this is terrible. His cowl is just terrible. It's 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 terrible. It's not ter- it's, it's terrible. Different. It's, it's different. No, it's terrible. <laughs> I get, and I'm guessing it was probably was it John Buscema who did this? No, it's Walt Simonson. I mean, Walt Simonson draws comic books, right? He draws X Factor. Yeah, I thought so. I thought he was involved. Like he should know how to draw Wolverine. He does. He's just doing a more stylized version. Also, we don't know who is inking this. But it, no, it the could inks be... don't matter here. The cowl is so huge. Unless the inker added a whole bunch. <laughs> like this is, and 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 his forehead is like so. In in a in figuring that I have researched, which isn't much, uh, it's pretty standard practice to put your eyes in the very center of the head. They don't go like on your forehead. They don't go on your cheeks. They go like right in the middle of your head. And then the top portion is your forehead and the bottom portion is your nose, your mouth, and your chin. All right. I, I want you to do something for this me. This forehead me? is like, <laughs> like it's, who's the master? No, who's the guy? Who's uh, uh, Hulk's uh, nemesis? The leader. He looks like he's the leader. He's got like a leader sized head and then he's got like the giant Wolverine spikes I, I, out. I, I want you to do something for me. You see where his claws are? Yeah. Like the the, the ones that are like... Uh, perpendicular to the bottom of the comic. Mm-hmm. Cover everything above that with your hand. Mm, it's a and lot. now look at the draw. So do you think like he spent all of his time on the bottom portion? Yeah, because the everything everything except for the top looks great. Wolverine's face looks great. He's got a big cigar in his mouth. He's got his claws. They they're kind of connected. They got a little spark thing. His body is is solid. It looks like a good proportioned body. He's kind of short. It's uh. It's I, a good drawing. The only thing is, yes, if you focus on and his ginormous rabbit ears, but it, then <laughs> it's the focal point of the cover. There's like there's like a target right next to his head. Like everything in this picture leads you right up to his stupid looking head. I will tell you though, I did not notice that until you pointed it out. <laughs> really? Yeah. And now if I do cover up the rabbit ears, uh yeah, it's great. It's good it's good drawing. But but that it just take that takes everything away from me. I didn't even notice it. There is a weird uh, there's a weird wind coming from behind his rabbit ears. Uh, I guess it bleeds into the Silver Surfer on the other side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Uh, I didn't actually read this, so it's all you, Adam. Oh, uh, there's not a whole lot to say. Uh, basically, Wolverine is in Madripoor, which I think is the first time Wolverine's been in Madripoor. Madripoor, of course, you know as the city from New Mutants. Yeah. Um, he goes to the princess bar because he's looking for a guy and there's a fight. And um, at the very end of the comic, uh, having saved O'Donnell, who is the guy who he's looking for, he says, Dave Chappelle sent me hmm. to find the tiger. And uh, O'Donnell, of course, says, wait, Dave Chappelle? Seriously? That guy's hilarious. I thought he canceled his show too soon. But then he says, no, no, Dave Chappelle is dead. And everybody draws their guns on Wolverine. And that was... That was part one. These are like eight issues long. You could read this in like five minutes. It wasn't that I didn't want to read it. It's just that I didn't get around to it. And then 
it was recording day. And I was like, well, Adam will read this. <laughs> and I, I mean, I did page through it and I'm like, nothing like nothing important looks like it's happening. Obviously, it's we're setting up a story, right? Like whoever this Dave yeah. Chappelle is and the shotguns and stuff. And we're going to get probably into like the not Wolverine. I mean, he'll put on the costume, of course. But isn't this more, I don't want to say like spy Wolverine, but more like like mystery adventure wolverine this is setting the template for where i think the direction Chris claremont wants to go with wolverine is so yeah i think he's he's kind of fooling around with wolverine as this sort of private eye type indiana jones-ish sort of character now he's only in costume in one panel on this and that's probably just so that the common viewer can be like oh this is a Wolverine story. It's, it, yeah, it's the establishing panel. Like yeah. the guy with that weird hair you see later, it's him. It's this guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I guess we'll find out as we continue reading uh, the comics. Um, but do they even bother trying to handle the fact that there's Marvel Comics Presents Wolverine, Wolverine, and the X-Men like all happening simultaneously? Uh, I don't know. I know that... Wolverine is not in every issue of Marvel Comics Present, and it's not until later that he becomes a mainstay of every issue of Marvel Comics Present. I thumb- right, right now, this is just a story that hap- that is, I believe, the lead-in to Wolverine number one. Yeah, I thumbed through a lot of Marvel Comics Presents just to try to figure that out. And you're right. Uh, I think he maybe has two stories, and then it goes to other people but i think an x-man is represented in every issue of marvel comics presents yeah it's like colossus and cyclops and then i think after colossus and cyclops i think they just decided like these people are boring wolverine (laughs) all the time and then it's like nothing but wolverine till the end of wolverine sells comics yep put him in there um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is, we're starting to get to the period, like, as once, once Wolverine has his own comic series, uh, the question starts to become like, how can Wolverine do all this? Right. And they do deal with it a little bit in Uncanny X-Men. Uh, and we'll talk about it when we get there. We got a ways to go, but there's still a lot of Wolverine, not with the X-Men in his own comic, like in Madripoor or in places where the X-Men aren't. Yeah. And I don't know how it's going to work out, but he's looking for Tiger who is uh i'm assuming that's tiger tiger and we'll we'll learn more about that next time this 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 issue is called the good guy the next one's called the bad guy get out of here uh nope i'm not joking (laughs) no seriously get out of here oh all right well this has been the x-men comments commentary podcast (laughs) yes and we have run a little long this this episode so long in the tooth a little bit so until next time my name is jeremy My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed.